Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. And I don't know if it sounds like I was at Vespers around a campfire playing my guitar. <laughs> Brings me back many good times. Well, good morning, everybody. Let's pray. Father, as we now take a moment to pause, as we begin a new series, Lord, be with us especially. And uh, we ask that you be with those who are here, those who could not make it, and perhaps maybe if there's anybody on their way. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you love Legos? Oh, not a lot of parents. Maybe because they step on it. <laughs> Back in, I think it was 2013, uh, Wired Magazine wrote an article. And uh, they proclaimed, or they didn't proclaim, they reported that uh, one of the newest Lego editions to the world had been brought forth. In fact, it was the largest and I think still the largest Lego set ever created. Anybody ever heard of the Lego X-Wing? Not just a small Lego X-Wing, but the big one where it's, it's basically the model of the classic Star Wars fighter that has a wingspan of 44 feet, complete, comes complete with an R2-D2, and also the full range of sound effects. Isn't that amazing? I want one for myself. But it's basically the super duper larger version of the Lego Starfighter set number 9493. And this one though, okay, this one was made with over 5,335,200 little Lego bricks. So it's probably, for sure, it's the largest Lego model ever built. In fact, it, it eclipsed the other Lego, former largest Lego, the Lego robot at the Mall of America by over 2 million bricks. And uh, it was built at the Lego model shop at a facility in Kladno of the Czech Republic. It took over 32 builders, over 17,336 man hours to construct, construct this X-Wing. They used 3D design. The construction team had to work with a team of structural engineers to ensure that this model would be safe, it would hold up, and uh, it weighed, anybody want to guess how much it weighed? Over 45,000 pounds. And eventually was shipped to Legoland. Now, for them to complete this project, it took vision. It took a team, it took leadership, it took time. It wasn't something that just popped up. It took work. But when you have a chance later, Google, largest Lego ever built. Google uh, Star Wars X-Wing, it's amazing. I want one for myself. <laughs> but it's true of that whenever you wanna build something, you need to have vision, you need to have a dream. And so they built, they dreamed that they would build, be able to build the biggest Lego set ever. 
and they accomplished it. It took a while, over 17,000 man hours spread over 32 builders, a long time. And so they worked on this machine or this, this set and eventually it came to fruition. Now, today is the first of the series that we're going to be going over in the month of August, passing the baton. What do we mean by passing the baton? You know what a baton is, right? Those who run around a track and they pass the baton, we've seen it at the Olympics. We're going to go back in time to the history of the early church and also the history of the early Adventist church. Well, maybe what's that? Maybe just in case. Well, Downey Church didn't just come out of nowhere. It's part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And how many of you maybe actually know how did the Seventh-day Adventist Church get started? Some of you, okay? Well, next week, we're going to, actually the next two weeks after this, we're going to do a very brief overview of how the Adventist Church got started. And we're going to take lessons learned from not only the early church, but the early Adventist Church up until today, and at the end of the month, we're going to kind of come together and basically ask the question of what have we learned and what's next? How do we look forward to the future? But we want to take some of the positive lessons that we can take from especially the early church today, some of the lessons that, and some of the things that maybe you'd kind of be surprised about that can help build up our spiritual life and also remind us of the good things and history is replete of good things and also lessons learned. And unfortunately, how often do we truly go back to remind us of those lessons? Yet we somehow keep making the same mistakes over and over again as humans. So let's go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. It's a passage that we have studied several times, but just as a good reminder, because this sets a basis. Matthew 28. Oops. And if we're there, please say amen. All right. We've got more than a couple. <laughs> Matthew 28, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to where? Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Okay, so Jesus had shown up. He said, hey, meet me over here. And when they saw them, they worshiped him. And every time I read this, what, what's, what's next? It says what? Some of them doubted. Jesus was there for three years. They saw him do all these wonderful things, and he rose again. And yet some still had the ability to doubt him, even after he had risen. And then here's the key part. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in where? Heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make what? Of all who? Meaning all over the world, not just in Galilee, all over the world, baptizing them, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. So what is Jesus essentially doing here? What do we call this passage? The Great Commission. So Jesus is commissioning his disciples. What does commissioning mean? He's instructing them. He's giving them a blueprint. He's giving them a mission statement and a vision 
of what he is calling all of them to do, to go, to preach, to, well, therefore, go and make disciples, and disciples are what? Followers of who? Jesus. Well, disciples, follower, but in this context, we're, we're, calling, we're, we're called to make followers, disciples of everybody, not just people down the street or in your community or your own family, but throughout the world, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Jesus left all of these lifelong learning lessons. And fortunately enough as well, he sends the Holy Spirit, as we talked about in our Sabbath school lesson earlier today, to remind us of everything that we should know and to spread it to other people. This is Jesus' commission. This is Jesus calling, hey, I am taking off, but I'm not leaving you alone. But this is what I want you to do. Teach, preach, baptize, tell everybody, and remind everybody of what I have taught you. And so time goes by. We find that the disciples, of course, though, they got to rebuild. What, what next? God has called them. And we find ourselves in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit, what happens in Acts chapter 2? What, what great event happens there? Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit just comes down on all of the disciples. And are there, is it, does everybody at the beginning, are they speaking the same language? No, there are people from everywhere there. It's a melting pot. And when the Holy Spirit descends on everyone, everybody could understand when Peter steps up to the plate and he starts to speak to everybody, everybody could understand him. It's as if everybody, uh, if you had somebody from, from France, from Mexico, from Japan, from Fiji, all over the world, they got together and Peter starts to talk and everybody could clearly understand him, even though they didn't know the Greek that Peter was speaking in. Make sense? And it's an important point because this Holy Spirit has been promised all the way back even into the Old Testament. So Jesus doesn't leave us hanging as, as John's gospel says. He sent the advocate or the counselor or the helper. And it's there that the, the Holy Spirit would lead them into the next direction, the next phase of the gospel ministry. And so there, everyone, they, those who kind of figure out, wait a minute, we're all speaking different languages, yet we can understand him clearly. They're impressed. And suddenly, people begin to join this movement. They begin to join the church. And here now, let's go to verse 42, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This is after Pentecost has happened, after Peter addresses the crowd. Here we see there is the fellowship of believers, the, the early makings of the church. And this is a passage that we have studied, yes, but we're, just, we're not going to focus totally on it, at least the first part, because we've already done that. This is just a reminder. Let's look at the other parts. But in verse 42, Acts 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' what? The teaching the fellowship and the, and finally, last but not least, prayer. They devoted themselves. This was the early church. And they didn't have a fancy church like this where they could gather together. Where were they meeting? 
They were meeting in the homes, maybe the courtyards, the backyards, maybe on a hilltop, but they all met, they had their small groups. They vote, devoted themselves to the apostles, the preaching, what they had learned, and they were doing what Jesus had called them to do, reminding them of everything that he had taught them. They were fellowshipping because you need community. They uh, broke bread because can life happen without bread, without food? No. Some of our fondest memories probably are when we're at the table sharing a meal with a loved one or a family member or getting to know somebody, hopefully to be able to spend a life together. Amen? But the capstone as well, the last part is we have to be able to bathe everything in prayer. And it's here that this is just the beginning. In verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They were able to do miracles. Verse 44, all of the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold what? property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the basics we've already kind of gone over. We've talked about that teaching, fellowship, bread, and prayer. That's just the blueprint. But what are some of the things that we can learn from the early church and even the Adventist church? We'll, we'll, we'll go more into depth next week about the Adventist aspect, but both of them share the fact that both the early church and the Adventist church had vision. The early pioneers, the early believers had known what they were called to set out to do. The blueprint of the Great Commission propelled them forward to teach, preach, and to baptize. And here we see them doing this already in chapter two. They knew what the goal was. Their lives had changed dramatically. Other people's lives around them were being changed. Word spread by word of mouth. People's lives, they were giving their lives to Jesus in spite of even the hardship that they would face. So they had vision. They knew where they were headed. But the early church and the Adventist pioneers also sacrificed and gave not just a little, but they gave generously. As it says in verse uh, 45, they sold property. Property means something, right? It's not something that it's like just a couple bucks, but it, in our eyes, that, that could be potentially anywhere from tens to hundreds to millions of dollars. Now, maybe they had a different viewpoint. Maybe it wasn't as much back then, but they sold their property and their possessions to give anyone who had in need. Early Adventist church as well, they didn't have a great benefactor. Many of them were, were giving of their own time, donating their, their time, selling properties, helping to make sure that the movement, this Advent movement, would propel the church forward because they believed that Jesus was coming back. Many of them sacrificed. Many of them literally lost their lives, as we'll talk about in a little bit. Some gave everything to the cause because they believed so hard in, they believed so much in this person called Jesus to go teach, preach, and baptize. They didn't have a huge budget. They used their own means many times. We think of, uh, when you think about the first martyr as well, Stephen. 
he is the first recorded person to have been martyred. But many other people, many that we don't know, because guess who was trying to suppress this movement? Paul, also known as Saul before he transitioned to Paul. But Saul, he was a faithful member of the Jewish uh, faith, and he believed that the church, this movement, was a threat, and so he did everything to snuff it out. But not just him, many other people, and eventually also the Roman Empire, they were causing problems to the people. So what do they do? They try to snuff this movement out. But when something that is great is happening and you wonder why is everybody putting so much effort to snuff it out, you gotta ask, well, why are they doing that? And when they find out the goodness that's coming from this group, pretty soon everybody wants to hear about it, amen? And so, you know, we, we were studying um, Mark's gospel recently, one of the, probably the earliest gospel written, having to deal with persecution. These individuals were all being persecuted for their faith, and yet they did not care. They gave generously and they sacrificed much. Paul also talks about it in his writings about the generous offerings that were used for missions uh, later on to other areas that can continue the gospel uh, going out to all of the world. In fact, uh, in, in one of the letters, it's noted that there was a collection on the first day of the week. The early Adventist church also, before it was even incorporated, were basically small groups throughout the country using their own means, raising their own money for the, for the mission of the church to tell the world that Jesus was returning. Now, out of all of that, because of their faithfulness, the earth, the... The early church, not earth church, my bad. The early church experienced an evangelistic, what? Explosion. When uh, you read the gospel, or sorry, the, the book of Acts, how many people were being added to the church daily? 3,000 in one case. Thousands were being added in multiple parts where it says thousands were being added daily to the church. When was the last time you heard that there was a couple thousand people being added daily to the church. Not recently, right? What has happened? I remember uh, early on when I first started working, I was part of a uh, evangelistic series. And when all was said and done, we got together at this, this place and hundreds of people were being baptized. And that was awesome. That was great. But can you imagine thousands being added? And not just like one time, but daily. This is how important Jesus meant to these people and the efforts that were, they were going forth. Same thing with the early Adventist church. They gave and evangelistically, uh, you know, it grew not as fast as the early church, but when they could, when the word spread, it grew like fire. And in the midst of all the hardship that they faced, the early church and the Advent, early Adventist SDA pioneers experienced what? Joy in the face of hardship. When you have purpose in your life, when you know what you're called to do, you are able to overcome many obstacles and do it with joy. This quiet, purposeful drive, knowing that everything is going to be okay, and it brings this wonderful feeling of, I know what I'm doing, and it's making a difference in the world. 
The early believers and the early pioneers of the Adventist church didn't have to wonder. They knew they were making a difference. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Ruben Pardo? Probably haven't. He's a man who uh, was an elevator operator. I, I don't know um, if he's still alive because he's older, but for many years, I think he's retired now, uh, he started as an elevator operator on August 14th, 1976. And uh, for many years, he, he was an elevator operator for uh, a building in LA on Wilshire in uh, one of the Art Deco buildings. And although his life, some may consider simple, his purpose is clear. His heart is full of joy and gratitude. For many years, over the years that he has operated this elevator, he's met many people, business professionals, people who have made tons of money. And until more recently, when the building was changed to uh, office space, he would meet young entrepreneurs, influencers, trying to make a world of difference. And there, every day, he faithfully served as an operator for the elevator to go up and to go down. When he was young, he learned the value of hard work by going out on a paper route. He learned that you had to work hard to make a living. But every day, he would go to work faithfully, six days a week. And every day, he greeted everybody with a voice of cheer. He knew all, he knew all of the employees by name. When young employees would come and go, Reuben would, be, would stay and become a fixture. In fact, one young executive pointed out, he's been in this elevator longer than I've been alive on the planet. <laughs> Pardo was the son of a, a shop owner born in Mexico City. When he was seven, his family immigrated here to the United States. He learned to, to paint garages, shovel snow, operate elevators like the one he manages. And he was able to support himself and also his wife. He rarely took paid vacations, but on Sunday nights, he would take his wife to dinner as a gesture of gratitude. He said his wife, he and his wife were happy. And while the young people in the office building would sometimes move on, get married, travel the world, Reuben has been steady, constant, doing the thing that he's done for many, many, many years. Luis Zavala, he's a 30-year-old, uh, at the time, uh, web graphic designer, described uh, Ruben as like a glass of fresh water every morning. I don't know how he does it, but every day for him, it just seems to be a bright opportunity for something. The early believers, the Adventist church pioneers, had this joy, this, this something in them that moved them forward to share the good news of Jesus Christ. When something great in your life has come into your life and affects you, do you want to just keep it to yourself? No, you want to share it with the world, especially when you find something that you're very passionate about, whatever it may be. Okay, it could be fishing, uh, it could be the Dodgers, it could be um, swimming, it, it could be cooking, and you, you find the joy, you want to be able to talk to anybody about it. Oh, clear example. Anybody know what CrossFit is? Nobody? 
Oh my word. Okay. So CrossFit is a, it's a strength and conditioning program. There's a joke that you can find out somebody who knows, who does CrossFit because they just cannot stop talking about it. All right. So something that you're passionate about. These early believers, they were passionate about what God had done in their life and changed their life. Obviously, they wanted to share the world. And despite all of the many obstacles that they faced, they didn't care. They moved forward. They moved the needle forward to now where, because of the work that they have done, we are here worshiping in this building. Amen? So what are some of the lessons that we can take? Let's just as a, as a reminder. The early church had vision. They sacrificed and gave generously. There was an evangelistic explosion. And the early, the early church leaders and the early Adventist pioneers experienced joy in the face of hardship. So as we reflect on these five points that we've discussed, which of them resonate with you the most? And perhaps maybe are any of these missing in your life? What changes in your life could you make that these five principles of joy, of giving generously, of being willing to make sacrifices, to have vision, and to serve others. So, this week, I want you to find an opportunity to practice at least two of these characteristics that we've discussed. Amen? Amen. So go forth. Live with joy. Live with purpose. Have vision knowing that what you're doing is making a difference. Give generously. And when I say give generously, I'm not just talking about financially either. You could give in the way of time. There's many ways of giving. So go forth and be the disciples that God has called us to be. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord. As we move forward, as we build this foundation, Lord, we've started with the early church and we're kind of creeping into the early Adventist church. Lord, help us to take these lessons with us to remind us because, Lord, in the face of the present church, Lord, some of these things, it seems like we're missing them. How do we lose them? Speak to our hearts. Prepare us, but also give us opportunities to serve. And above all, Lord, may we be a difference and remember to share Jesus with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Grace and peace, everybody. Don't run away yet. <laughs>